Please rise for the reading of God's Word from John, the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. Hear now God's Word. Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you uh, earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And thus far the reading of God's word. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. This is the second Sunday in Advent. Advent is that uh, is the period, first period on the church calendar, and is the four the four Sundays uh, uh, and weeks before Christmas. Advent just simply means coming in Latin, and in this case, it refers to the coming of Jesus into the world. Now we commonly call this the Christmas season, but more accurately. This is the season leading up to the Christmas season, but more accurately, it is the season, again, uh, excuse me, leading up to the Christmas season, which begins on December the 25th and continues for 12 days. It is a season of promise and anticipation. I suppose for Mary and Joseph, Advent was uh, at least intensified for nine months as you, anyone who's expected a child would be anticipating, thinking, praying, full of joy, full of a little anxiety perhaps about what it might mean and how many changes are going to come about. The fact is, ever since Genesis 3.15, immediately after the fall, uh, God's people have been promised a Savior and they began to anticipate His coming. Some Advent tradition has attached an emphasis on each of the four Sundays of Advent, and those would be hope, love, joy, and peace. The Advent wreath with its four colored candles represent each of those, with the white candle being lit on Christmas. So last week I preached for the first Advent sermon, a sermon on hope, and today's Advent sermon is on love. Hope and love as it is related to the coming of Jesus Christ, which embraces both his person and his work and message. So from our text in John 3, I simply want to focus on that most familiar verse, John 3.16, which is probably the best known and perhaps the most memorized book in the uh, verse in the Bible. Like many other things, it contains a message that can't be known apart from the revelation of the Bible. What does God think and how does he feel about us and what, if anything, has he done to help us? 
We don't have time this morning to deal with the surrounding text and context. We can't even begin to say all that could be said about verse 16, which is both simple and direct. Martin Luther said that John 3.16 is the Bible in miniature. Just think about how much is crammed into this short verse, which speaks of God, of love, the world, the Son of God, faith, perishing forever and living forever and whoever. This covers a lot of important subjects and is relevant for every person in every age. It's not just important, it's urgent. It's a powerful and clear summary of not only the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it's an explanation of why Jesus came, why he was sent. Jesus himself is giving us this behind-the-scenes look at what the Godhead was up to and why. While John 3.16 is simple and direct, it is also profound and deep. There's a lot in there. Perhaps the most powerful and personal thing that's demonstrated in this verse is the Father's love. But the love that's behind the Advent season is something really profound. This love culminates in a rescue operation that means ultimate sacrifice on the part of the one who is sent to rescue. In fact, it is through his sacrifice that the rescue actually takes place. Who wants to die? Who wants to be hated by the very ones he came to save? Who wants to suffer utter humiliation? Who wants to hang naked on a tree for crimes he didn't commit? Crimes, in fact, that have been committed by the ones who would kill him. What motivation could there be for someone to go to such extremes? Well, the answer is the only possible motivation is love. Good fathers love their children, and they do so sacrificially. In fact, giving and sacrificing are at the very heart of what the Bible means when it says love. This morning, just prior to this worship service, we witnessed a father's love in bringing his infant daughter to be baptized, the ongoing product of several generations of father love. My own father not only provided for me and protected me, he instructed me and disciplined me. He went to work every day and he came home every day. What is that worth? He loved God. He loved my mother, he loved my sister and my brother, and he has gone above and beyond all that I could ask or think. But even the best fathers and their love are inadequate because no father, no earthly father measures up to our heavenly father. As good as my father was and is, he has failings and inconsistencies, and he would be the first to admit that. Some, if not many, fathers fall far short, lacking wisdom and diligence and kindness and time and affection and selflessness. Some fathers are positively abusive, the opposite of what a father should be. And I know that some of you have not known an earthly father's love at all, 
because your father is gone, either willfully or through death. But scripture teaches us that God is our father. Some of us will think of our good fathers and think, but my heavenly father is even more. Others will sadly remember the failing of their earthly fathers and as a result develop a positive concept of God by contrast because he will never disappoint as their earthly fathers did. The Bible tells us there are three senses in which God can be called a father. First, God the creator is the father to his creature man. Have you not all one father, Malachi asked, has not one God created us? In Acts 17.29, Paul told the Athenians that we are all the offspring of God. Psalm 145.9, the Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. And in Matthew 5, Jesus says, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So God is the father of his creatures. Second, God's covenant people are seen in another sense to be the children of God and the special objects of his electing and saving covenantal love. John 1, 12 through 13, but as many as received him, He gave the right to become the children of God as many as believe on his name who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And in Galatians 1, 3 through 5, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He is the father of his chosen children. And third, we think of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God in three persons. He is personal and not just a mere force. He thinks, wills, and feels. He loves and hates. And there is a relationship in the Godhead that is the relationship between Father and Son. Ephesians 1, 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is that relationship that is emphasized in John three sixteen. He gave his only begotten son. John three thirty five. the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. John fourteen thirty one. but that the world may know that I love the father and, and as the father gave me commandment, so I do. And so God the Father loves us, it turns out. Uh, Remember, he's father of the creature, but then the creature has fallen. But then he goes further. And in in this verse in John 3.16, he is doing something about the fact that we have sinned. We have broken that relationship. The Father loves the Son because everything about him is infinitely lovely. So God God the Father loves the world and he loves us and he does so through his only begotten Son. And Advent is the anticipation of the Father's gift of his Son for the sake of the world.
And so I want us to consider a few things this morning regarding the Father's love. First, the depth of the Father's love. Jesus says that God so loved the world. We might say it this way, God loved the world so much. Now, we might be tempted to think that this is focused on how broad God's love is, that he loves the world and the world is a really big place. So we could read it as saying, God so loved planet Earth and all the people on planet Earth. But we're going to see that his love is specifically for those who believe in his son. John is talking more about the depth of God's love. What is the world? How does John use the word world? And he uses it more than any other writer. When he speaks of the world, he's talking about those who are alienated from God. It is the creation and fallen totality of humanity, all of which stand in need of salvation. Remind you, we've talked about what's wrong with the world. The answer, sin. That's it. Every problem you see, every problem you have, every problem you witness, every problem you hear about is related to sin. Jesus is the answer, the only answer. John 1.10, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. John 14.17, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you, Jesus said. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world... You see how John's using the word world? It's not the earth. He's talking about fallen humanity. That's who he loved. I have manifested your name... To the men whom you have given me out of the world, Jesus said. So God didn't love the righteous. He loved rebels. So all of fallen humanity makes up the ocean of perishing sinners. And it's from this ocean that we'll find the whoever believes. And it's for these that the Father's love will reach to the depths and save. This is what we call the free offer of the gospel. There are no limitations as it goes out to all kinds of people of every race, ethnic group, nation, class, in every age and in every place, and most importantly, to every degree of sinner, to whoever believes. In Ephesians 3, 18 through 19, the Apostle Paul prays that, quote, we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is a deep love. The measure of his love, the measure of the Father's love is giving. What do you sacrifice for that person? You say, I love you. Then what are you giving up? That's the measure. How generous are you to that person? God so loved the world that he gave. We see another example of this in Ephesians 5 where uh, Paul writes about Jesus. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And so God wasn't just patient with us. God wasn't simply waiting for us to wake up and return home. 
uh, clean yourself up, reform yourself, and then I'll let you back in my family. You do right first, and then I might do something for you. That was not God's love. That would have been gracious. You've heard that Santa keeps a naughty and nice list, right? What do naughty boys and girls get for Christmas? And what do nice boys and girls get? But God the Father gives his most valuable gift to boys and girls, to men and women who have been very, very bad. In spite of the fact that you were a rebel, he still gave. That's the measure of his love. Not only did he give his son, it was not just the birth of a baby in a manger. We think of sending out birth announcements and it's a happy, joyous time. We had a new baby. No, it's much more than that. He sent his son on a mission. Verse 17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Romans 5, 8, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is going to expound upon the Father's love in John chapter 10. He says, Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I received from my Father. And so when John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave, this was the Father sending his only begotten Son on a mission to die. Can you imagine asking your son to do something like this for you? I'm sending you on a mission to die for some of my enemies who deserve to perish. I want you to die in their place so they can live forever. This is the measure of God's love for you. Thirty-nine times in John's Gospel, Jesus states that the Father sent him into the world with a mission of teaching and proclaiming the good news of salvation and to perform that work for those who believe. J.C. Ryle put it this way, Christ is God the Father's gift to a lost and sinful world. He was given generally to be the Savior, the Redeemer, the friend of sinners, to make an atonement sufficient for all, and to provide a redemption large enough for all. To effect this, the Father freely gave him up to be despised, rejected, mocked, crucified, and counted guilty and accursed for our sakes. And then think about the supreme value of the gift itself, of the Father's gift. That's another evidence of his love. What is the value of the gift? He gave us his son. I ask you again, how many of you would give your sons away? I mean, on better days. Think about the dedication and faith of Abraham when God called him to go to Mount Moriah and sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Of course, Abraham didn't have to go through with it because a substitute was provided. He didn't have to give up his only son, but in the story of God's only son, there was no substitute. He was the substitute. 
God gave His Son completely to the point of death. And the Bible is very clear in this text. The Greek word used to describe Jesus is monogenes. We get two words we're familiar with. Mono, like single. And the other part of that word is where we get our word gene or um, genus. Uh, he is the only, he's the one of a kind son of a God. He is the unique son of God. God didn't have a bunch of sons and he gave up one. This was it. You see the supreme value of God's gift to the world. He loves those who don't love him. Infinite and eternal God the Son. Philippians 2 puts it this way. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. That's the mission he was sent for, even death on the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name by which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those in earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And so the value of the Father's love is seen in the value of his gift. And then we see the everlasting effect of the Father's love. Whoever should believe in him will not perish, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let me ask you, what do you have that is everlasting? Can you make something that will last forever? But God, through the gift of his son, is offering us a life that will never end. Never. This is a gift that will not wear out. It will not fade away. It won't grow old. This gift will never become obsolete. It will never have to be repaired or replaced. Right now, our lives are defined in terms of, defined in terms of death. How long do we have? When will this life wind down or end? Every person we have known or will know has died or is subject to death. Most of you know, as a woodworker, uh, I did an unusual thing. I guess it's not as unusual as I first thought, but I built my own casket, which stands in my shop. Not as a grim reminder of death, but as a reminder of my need for resurrection and eternal life. Now, if that box is my end, then mine is just another sad and unhappy ending. But through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I have every reason to expect that God is going to open that box like a Christmas package and set me free forever. Perhaps caskets should have big bows on the top. God, because of his great love, has given us his son and through him the gift of life that shall never end. 
Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also freely give us all things? So how do you gain eternal life? You see, not everyone benefits from this gift of eternal life. The text says only those who believe. Those who don't receive the gift, those who don't believe, will perish. John 1, 11 through 12, He came down on His own, and His own did not receive Him, but as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe on His name. In John 6.35, Jesus gives us a great picture of what that believing looks like. He said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. The alternative to eternal life is to perish. To perish in our sins. John 3.18 describes believers and unbelievers in this way. He who believes in him is not condemned but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now, you've heard me say this a million times, and I'll say it a million more if God gives me time. If Jesus isn't the Son of God, then let's walk. Let's get out of here. Let's stop wasting our time. But if he is who he says he is, then he is the only begotten Son of God. This is the gift that God has given us to solve our problems and to give us hope and to demonstrate his love. What will you do with that gift? You can toss it in the trash and walk, or you can open it up and you can receive it. Just as the gift of eternal life is forever, likewise the perishing abides forever. On this second Sunday of Advent, as we think about the love of God and the greatest gift of His Son, I want to urge you to meditate on this. How grateful a child are you? The evidence of your perception of the depth of God's love will be seen in your love. We love Him because He first loved us. A ho-hum perception of God's love will show a ho-hum response. A deep comprehension will lead to a fervent response. Now we love him in the same way, specifically, completely, and wholly. If we do, we give him all that we are, all that we have, so that we might glorify him. And not only do we have a new disposition toward God, and he toward us. But we will then have a new disposition toward each other. Remember the problems of the world? We're selfish. We're not loving. Loving is about giving and self-sacrifice. We need a supernatural work in us. In John 13, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. That's the bar. That's the standard You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So regardless of what you don't have, I want you to look at what you do have. A loving Heavenly Father who has given you His eternal and infinite Son, who has saved saved your perishing life and given you hope and promised you eternal life. Now that's going to lead to 
the third Sunday in Advent. Joy. Peter describes it as a joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's what comes now. Think of that little kid, you know, whatever that favorite age is, that six-year-old little boy or girl that opens that package that has that item they've been wanting. And the sheer joy of the moment. Now, we know that that isn't going to last very long because they're kids and toys break and grow old and it might be stuck in a closet two months from now, but there is that moment that is the snapshot in that picture. Now imagine that forever. That has begun because God has already given the gift and now we simply begin to grow in our perception of how glorious that gift is. Let's pray. Father, our loving Heavenly Father, we lift up our hearts before you and say, thanks be to God for your indescribable gift. Help us to be grateful children. Move us to share this good news of the free offer of the gospel to whoever will believe. And help us to always remember that the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Christians, what do you believe? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men, for our salvation, came down from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy Catholic apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you.
Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. You may be seated. First John chapter five, verses nine through thirteen. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. When we believe, the Holy Spirit unites us to Christ, in whom is life. And because it's the life of of the infinite, eternal Son of God, it is eternal life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And so we come again to the Lord's table to see, to hear, feel, smell, and taste the goodness of the love of God. Psalm 34, 8 and 10 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this table, this lovely table, this picture of your love, because it pictures the giving of your Son, the Son that you sent to die for us, to rescue us, to accomplish that great mission. And we are now thankful and full of joy and uh, ask now that you bless us as we follow in this simple picture of your loving grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. O God, our hope, hear again the cry of the exiles, imprisoned in a dark land of gloom and despair, where we are often weak and fearful. Come among us with strength and healing. Look with pity upon your people. Enable us to see the light of our Savior. 
to see the promised child who is our wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Fill us with thanksgiving and the joy of your generous love, which is made known through our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to forsake our own way and to gladly follow our Savior, for he always seeks our good. May his will be our will. Teach us to walk by faith and not by sight, for you are our faithful covenant-keeping God. Amen. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.